Well, I'm excited this morning to move into the book of Acts. After spending quite some time, it's been 11 months now, 10 months in the book of James. Some people were actually saying mercy, I think, and feeling like James was some pretty hard instruction at times, wasn't it? And James was a little strong. So I think now when we get into the book of Acts, we can all just take a deep breath. But I want you to know that the word still is going to challenge you. I know that God still has a great message for us in the book of Acts, and I can't wait to dig in. But before we get started this morning, could we just take a moment and ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. Father, I thank you so much for each of those who have come here this morning. I thank you for each who has made their way out to sit in this room together and enjoy the instruction from the Word of God. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would challenge our hearts. I pray that you would bless them for making the sacrifice of their time to come and hear the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would help us not only hear the Word, but to apply it to our lives today. I pray, Lord, that you would bring unity to this church body. I pray that you'd bring unity, Lord, in our nation. And I pray that you would bring unity by the blood of Jesus Christ and the uniting power of his Holy Spirit to this world. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as everyone here certainly already knows, during the week, I'm privileged to have a job that I enjoy very much in which I have oversight over a number of business units across the Milwaukee metro area. And so in my weekly routine, I'm responsible to ensure that those business units that are scattered across the Milwaukee metro are experiencing a level of sales growth. I have to make sure that they're growing their business, and I have to make sure that they're properly managing their operations operations and their assets to maximize their profit. I mean, it's it's business, right? That's what it's all about. And so occasionally, I'm blessed to land a larger account. And those days, I would like to be closer together than they are. I'd like those to happen more and more often. Ryan says, amen. He would like that too. But I'm, I'm blessed to land a large account from time to time. Ryan is actually a salesman who works with me as well. So glad to have him on my team. But sometimes we land these large accounts. And when that happens... I've got to work with our local team. I've got to work with our local business units to help them make sure that we have a smooth transition for our customer. But I can't always be there to do that work myself. So fortunately, my company's leadership has made provision for that. They have developed a team of people who help guide the implementation process of our new business once we've landed it. And so once a a really large sale has been made or an account has been landed uh, and the contract has been signed, then what happens is it's time for that team to come in and get things properly implemented and to make sure that they get the new business started. They want to get things going. So in my market, there's a man named Mike who is, in my opinion, he's, he's probably the best that our our company has to offer getting new business implemented. I just love this guy. But it's a really big job, and it takes a lot of skill in order to make things go smoothly when you get these large accounts in place. And Mike has all of those tools. I mean, he's been with our company for a very long time, I think, since before I was born. He's not quite that. He hasn't been there quite that long, but for a very long time. Been around, <laughs> been around for a long time. So he's seen pretty much everything, right? That's the good thing about having a veteran on your team. He's implemented some of the largest accounts that our company currently has in place, so he knows what works and he knows what doesn't work. Do you know people like that? He knows what's going on. He's been around long enough that he knows all of the product. He has all of the right tools, and when it comes to project management, this is the guy that you want. He's absolutely fantastic. 
fantastic because he knows how to get things done. He's a huge asset, and as you can see, I'm a pretty big fan. I like the guy. So when I sign new business, and they tell me, Scott, Mike is going to be your project manager for this implementation, I breathe a sigh of relief, and I'm like, oh, great. I've got one of the good guys that I can count on. I know. And so there's this just this sense of relief. And so the very first thing that he does is he'll come in and he'll go out to our customer's facility and he'll perform an analysis of their, you know, of their business and of all of their processes to make sure that he understands what's going on. And then he will develop a plan to make things work as efficiently and cost effectively as he possibly can. He wants things to run as smoothly as he can. And so to do that, he'll maybe recommend the right management systems or maybe he'll recommend particular technologies to help service this new account. He'll recommend stocking levels and and purchasing frequencies. He will even come to me and give me advice on headcount and staffing resources and things like that. And then what he does is he develops this project management plan and then he walks through this plan step by step by step until he is 100% complete and the business is ready to generate revenue. Is that all exciting? Look, at the you guys are just loving that. So when it's all done, what he does is he meets with me one-on-one one last time. He says, okay, Scott, this is your path forward. My work here is finished. I've gotten everything in place for you. You have to take it from here. You have to complete the job. And then he says, I've got to go and take over another project. If you need anything, just call me. You can call me. You can text me. He gives me all the data. He gives me all the spreadsheets. He says, I'm moving on, but you'll be fine. Just follow the plan. And then I have to take this thing that he's created. I have to take this plan that he's developed. And I have to take it to my local team. And we have to operate the system that he's designed. You see? I have to operate the system that he has designed. I have to take all of those things and I have to put them to work. He's done all of the work. He's laid all of the groundwork for us to turn this new business into revenue, to turn it into profit. And all I have to do is take the keys from him and start the car up and start driving. He's already created it. All I have to do is get in and drive. So this morning I'm happy to take you to the book of Acts. It has been uh, a long time and, and we've worked diligently through the book of James and prior to that the book of Ephesians. But I am excited to come to the book of Acts, which as you know was written by Luke, who was not an apostle. Luke was not an apostle, but he was a very close friend to the uh, apostle Paul. In fact, he was his traveling companion. And Luke was just a meticulous historian. He had a mind for detail. He interviewed many eyewitnesses and he detailed and wrote down whatever he heard. But not only was he a meticulous historian, he also happened to be a physician. And we could actually put together a very strong case that he was Paul's personal physician. And they traveled a great deal together quite extensively. But Luke then, being a detail-minded historian, wanted to document a historical account of the church. Listen closely. He wanted to document a historical account of the church. But what account of the church would ever be credible? What account of the church would ever be worth listening to without first documenting the basis of the church, which is the incarnation, the work, the ministry, and the death of Jesus Christ? Isn't that an important part of which we build our church upon? 
You have to know those things. And so what Luke did then was before he wrote the book of Acts, he wrote the book that you know as the Gospel of Luke. And what he did was he documented the ministry of Christ and told us all that Christ did in his ministry. What was it that he told us? Do you recall in the book of Luke? Well, I'm going to show you what it says here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. He says in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So the first book, which is the gospel of Luke, the one that he wrote to this man or this person, whatever it was, named Theophilus, which means lover of God, was written to inform Theophilus of all that Jesus, what? Began to do and to teach. Now, you may be confused if you think this through because as Jesus was hanging on the cross in John chapter 19, he declared what? It is finished. So why is Luke saying that he's documenting all that Jesus began if Jesus said it is finished, it's over, it's done? Then why is Luke saying, no, Jesus just began? Have you thought about that? I want you to consider that for a minute. I want you to know that both are right. Because what John was saying is that there is nothing to add to the work of redemption. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He completed the work of redemption. Jesus Christ was right when He said, It is finished. There is no work. There is no effort that you can put forward on your own part. There is no class. There is no ceremony. There is no good deed, there is nothing else that you can add to the completed work of salvation of Jesus Christ. It is finished. But the work of doing, the work of teaching, had only just begun. So Luke was absolutely right. The work of doing and teaching had only just begun. I want you to think of it in terms of my friend's Mike that I just introduced you to. I want you to think about it this way for a minute. Once Mike has reached the end of his implementation plan, his plan is finished. You see, it is complete. It is finished. But the work of doing, the work of actually turning that plan into revenue has just begun. He leaves and now the work that he began has to be turned into fruit. Do you understand? It has to be translated into income. He's completed the plan. He has forged the path. He's given me all the data. He's designed the way for me to go. And now it's up to me to walk in it. Are you following me? It's up to me now to walk in that plan. And that's basically the point here in the book of Acts. In the ministry of Jesus Christ, He began to teach the truth of salvation. Jesus Christ preached very powerfully to thousands and thousands of people. He began to teach the truth of salvation. He modeled what it looked like for us in His life and in His daily conduct. He completed the plan of salvation. And now, friends, hear me. It is time for the church to continue the work that Jesus Christ began. It's time for the church to continue the teaching. It's time for the church to continue to pattern ourselves after the model that Jesus Christ lived for us. And I want you to know that that's what all the rest of the New Testament is all about. It's all about that. It's the documentation. It's the data. It's an outline of the plan. The work of salvation, that's already done. The work of reconciliation, that has already been completed. But now, you and I, the church, has to follow the plan to complete the work that Jesus Christ began. 
So Luke then is writing the book of Acts as a historical follow-up to the plan and the work of Jesus Christ. He begins his book as Jesus Christ hands over the keys to the apostles and says, okay guys, I've done my work. And it's been completed perfectly. It's finished. I have to go away now. Follow the plan and you'll be just fine. You see, that's the point. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And then Luke, as the church follows the plan, highlights the work of Peter in the early church. He highlights the work of Paul as the church, the forming of the church is completed. And that, in the nutshell, is the book of Acts. And now you know what the book of Acts is all about. It's all about completing the work that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now I want to just give you a little bit of a historical context here. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, you'll remember that Jesus has, of course, completed the work of salvation. He's died on the cross as a sacrifice for the sin of mankind. And I want you to know that's a very great message, isn't it? Isn't that great news? I mean, clearly that's good news. It's, it's a great message. It's the gospel. And that is the right message for the church to teach. It's absolutely the right message. But may I suggest to you the possibility that the apostles who were going to build the church of Jesus Christ in a hostile world needed more than just the right message. The right message is that man has the opportunity to have right standing before God through the death of Jesus Christ who died as a substitute of our sins that we may have that right standing and that is the right message for the church to preach. But I need you to know that there is probably a little bit more than that needed if we're going to be effective in this world. And let me explain what I mean by that. It wasn't enough for the apostles to go out and preach that. The apostles needed confidence that accompanied the message. These guys were going to face deaths of martyrs. Some of them would have their heads chopped off. Some of them would be run through with a sword. They were going to die gruesome and terrible deaths, and they needed the confidence that their message was the right message. They were going to be tortured. They were going to be persecuted. And they needed more than just a good message. Just a good word to share with people. They had to have the confidence that Jesus Christ could and would actually fulfill all the promises that He made. Do you know that Jesus Christ is going to fulfill all the promises that He made? And you can be confident in that. You can know that for sure. And they needed to know that too. They needed to know that Jesus Christ would establish the earthly kingdom that He had promised that He would establish. They had watched Him die. Think about that. They had watched this guy die and they knew that He, just like every other man who claimed to have been sent from God, had died. They had seen Him all die. Sure, they had seen Him perform some supernatural signs. They'd seen Him do some things like miraculous healings. And they'd seen His power over nature. But He was dead. And they had seen Him die with their own eyes. And that message and the fact that they had seen the miracles were not enough to sustain them in the face of their torture and horrific deaths. Now take a look at verse 3. So to them, in verse 3, He presented Himself, how? Alive. He presented Himself alive after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So know they needed more. Knowing that they needed more information, knowing that they needed more confidence, for 40 days after His death, Jesus spent time with them. He appeared to them. He sat down with them. He talked to them. He allowed them to see that He was alive. He allowed them to touch His hands. He allowed them to touch His side. He allowed them to eat with Him and to talk to Him. He was alive. 
In fact, in one passage in the book of John, you'll remember as they were all gathered together, Jesus just showed up. He just materialized right there in the room. He hadn't walked in the room, yet there he was. Physically, they could touch him. They could see him. They could hear him. He was physically there even though he hadn't walked in the room. He just materialized there. And he just showed up. And what did he do? Spent time with him. He hung out with them. He talked to them. He continued to teach them the doctrine of the Word of God. He continued to teach them the truth. He continued to build them up and to strengthen their hearts because He wanted them to know that the fact that He died didn't mean the end of His ministry. He had literally, physically resurrected in His flesh and they could count on the fact that He was alive again. They could be sure that He was alive. They could count on the fact that death had not beaten him. Though he had died, death hadn't conquered him. No one else has ever done that. Do you know that? No other religious leader, no other king, no other prophet has ever died and resurrected. Their graves still hold their remains. Jesus Christ alone is the one who conquered death. Jesus Christ alone is the one who was resurrected. What a powerful, think about that, what a powerful statement. He wanted them to know that He wasn't just another movement. He wasn't just another revolution. He wasn't just another political event. He Himself was the Son of God and He conquered death. He wanted them to know He wasn't just another religious leader. You remember that the religious leaders had paid the guards off, given them money, paid them off to lie about Jesus Christ. And these guards had been paid to tell everyone that His body was stolen away by His disciples. And the Word tells us that people believe that. And it was a story that was circulating. And so as the church was beginning to be born, people believed that these guys were liars and that they were building their belief system on a charlatan. They believed that Jesus Christ, His body had been stolen away and that He had not really been resurrected because the guards were paid to share that story. But these men had to be able to bear witness to the fact that he was actually alive because the story was out there that he hadn't been resurrected. His body had been stolen away. So they had to bear witness to the fact that he was alive because they were going to have to refute the lie of the guards, even in the face of excruciating pain and torture. And so Jesus wanted them to be able to see him and to touch him and to feel the wounds in his hands and in his side, Thomas did, to hear his voice because they wanted him to know, or he wanted them to know rather, that he truly was the Son of the living God just as he claimed to be. In fact, you know that it was so important for the apostles to see Jesus Christ physically after his resurrection that you couldn't even be an apostle if you hadn't seen Jesus with your own eyes after his resurrection. Did you know that? You had to have physically seen him with your own eyes. Because it gave them confidence. It gave them the confidence that what they believed in was real. And they could face death, opposition, whatever it was. But they needed even more than that. Did you know that? I'm going to take you now to verse 4, and this is what it says. And while they were staying with them, He, that being Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me. For John baptized with water... But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And now I want you to jump down to verse 8, and we're going to see why they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. Now maybe some of you remember when we were in the book of John, it's been a long time ago, but maybe you can remember that it was there that we learned that the night before Jesus died, he told his disciples, do you remember this? He said, it's better for you if I go away. Because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit won't come to you. But when I leave, I will send the Holy Spirit, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Do you remember that? It was that same night that Jesus also told those disciples, right now the Holy Spirit lives with you, but when I leave, He will live where? He will live in you, do you see? He will no longer be with you. He will be in you. And now that time has come. Jesus is going to go away. And He's saying, I want you to know that now is the time. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I am going to send the Holy Spirit. And He is actually going to live in you, bringing conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment to all of your preaching. Now listen. Jesus had told them that several times. And sometimes I need to hear the the truth several times as well before it really sinks in. And now was the time that it was going to happen. In just a few days, it would happen. And Jesus wants them to know what they can expect. He says, this is the moment I've been telling you about. I'm going away, but I am not going to leave you on your own. Listen, the Holy Spirit is coming now and He is going to live in you just the way I said that it was going to happen. And when that happens, friends, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you won't have to worry about your testimony. He is going to give you the power to go and to speak the Word of God. And through your words, He will bring conviction to everyone who hears your message. Not only here in Jerusalem, but in all of Israel. In fact, in the entire world, everyone is going to be impacted by the preaching of the Word of God. Witness, share the word, and your preaching and your teaching are going to be so powerful that they will change the course of the world's history. Imagine that. You know, there's just something about the fear of the unknown, isn't there? Do any of you ever fear the things that you, you know, fear the unknown? Have you ever been there? I can remember a time when I, when I felt that way when I was, uh, I don't know, I was probably 16, 17 years old. I remember the fear that I felt when I moved from the safety and the familiar surroundings of my small little cornfield high school into a much larger uh, school in a city that was, listen to this, the city was so big it actually had a McDonald's in it. That's how big this town was. The nearest McDonald's to me prior to that was like 18 miles away. I mean, I grew up in a, you know, on a pig farm. I was, and so to me to move into this town that had 30,000 people in it. Right? Yeah, I moved into this town of 30,000 people. It had a McDonald's. It had an Arby's. It had, I, I mean, I was scared to death. I was going to a school that had two hallways in it. It had, you think I'm kidding, I'm serious. It had two hallways in it. It had 120 students, grades 7 through 12, and it had 12 teachers. This new school I was going to had 12 teachers just in the math department. We weren't very good at adding. (laughs) In fact, the new school was so big it even had a swimming pool. I knew absolutely everybody in my old school. I mean, there were only 120 of us. I knew everybody really well, but in my new school, I didn't know anybody. I was new. I had no idea what was going on. 
When that school was two stories high, I was in big trouble. The bell didn't even sound like the bell in my old school. It's out of my element, man. Have you ever lost a, a loved one maybe and they've been there with you your whole life and one day you realized this is probably my last day with this person. They're probably not going to make it through the night. I don't know what I'm going to do. What does life look like on the other side? How can I carry on after I've lost my dad or my, my brother or my sister, my closest friend, my wife? I've never lived a day without this person's smile. I've never lived a day without this person's encouragement. And I'm afraid of facing life without them. I can't imagine what's on the other side of that. See, it's hard to see beyond that to life with those people no longer around. And I think that's how the 12 must have felt. Can you imagine that? I mean, here they have been for the last three years. Their entire lives had been about Jesus Christ. That's all their lives had been about. John and his brother James had walked off on their father's fishing business to follow Jesus Christ. Peter and Andrew had done the same thing. Matthew had walked away from a really lucrative tax collection business. They had left their wives. They had left their families. They had left absolutely everything to follow Jesus Christ because they thought that he was the Messiah. They knew Old Testament scriptures which taught that the Messiah would establish a literal, physical, earthly kingdom and they believed that Jesus Christ was the one who was going to do that, but they watched him die. But he resurrected, so what better time than right now for him to establish his kingdom, right? I mean, they tried to kill him. And he got up and he's walking around and he's eating and, and we were touching him. He's alive. So what better time than right now? Imagine how easy it would have been for Jesus to go topple the throne and to take over. So in their excitement in verse 6, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's none of your business. What do you mean it's none of our business? What do you mean it's not for us to know the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? We have been following you for three years and the timing is absolutely perfect. You're alive. Let's go. And then, in verse 9, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Here they are anticipating the starting of this new kingdom. And as they're talking to him, as he's saying, you don't need to worry about that right now. As they were looking on, he just floated away. He just lifted up and he went into the cloud and he was gone. As mysteriously as he had arrived, he was gone. There it goes. Three years of commitment. Three years of faithful service. Three years of devoted friendship. And he is just floating away. Like a child's helium balloon that has fallen off his wrist. He just floats up and he's gone. I can't begin to imagine the thoughts that must have been running through their minds. Can you imagine? What do you think they were thinking? I mean, they can't begin to understand what must have been going through their minds. They've seen some pretty amazing things in the last three years. Being with this guy, there was, there was never a dull moment. There was always something exciting going on. I mean, he had turned jugs of water into some of the finest wine ever tasted. He shouted at a storm and it just, it just stopped. He walked on water. They had helped pass out the bread and the fish that he created from absolutely nothing. They had seen some pretty incredible stuff. In fact, you'll remember that several of them were actually with him on the top of a mountain when he was transfigured, and they heard the voice of God himself saying, yeah, this is my son, 
I want you to listen to him. Can you imagine that? They've seen some incredible things. They watched him die an incredibly painful death without uttering a word in self-defense. And they had seen him resurrected from the dead and just appearing in places, just materializing. And now, if that's not enough, here he is just floating away. Can you imagine what must have been going through your mind? I mean, everything was going to be different now. They've been with him for three years, and now he's gone. It's over. They were afraid. They had no idea what would be next. Their jaws, as they're watching him, can you imagine, are probably in the dirt as they watch him float away. I can't imagine seeing that. And I love verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I just love this. Their best friend, The one whom they've just come to understand to be God Himself has just floated away right before their very eyes and these angels ask Him, why are you standing here looking up? I mean, are you kidding me? The Son of God just floated away into the sky. Where do you want me to look? They were probably dumbfounded. I wonder how long, in fact, it took them to realize that they were actually talking to angels. And they said, this being the angels, This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Well, then shouldn't we keep looking up? Right? I mean, he's going to come back. I I don't want to miss that. If watching him go away was good, imagine how great it's going to be to watch him come back that way. But he was gone. That was it. Should we just stand there and keep looking up? No? Why not? Friends, listen. Because there's work to do. You see? There's work for us to do. The work that Jesus did, as perfect as it was, was just getting started. When Mike walks away and he moves on to his next project, I'm always grateful for all the work that he's done. I can always count on him. But he's only started the project. He's only gotten it started. At some point, I have to finish the job and I have to allow his work to start generating fruit. It has to start generating revenue. And I know how disappointing it is for him. After he's committed so much time and energy and effort to put together such a great strategy to watch things fall apart and to watch things do absolutely nothing. Can you imagine? After all that work, He wants to look at our monthly sales numbers and He wants to see that His work is making a difference. He wants to see that things are changing because of what He's done. He wants to say, you see that account that Harms is working on right now? You see that one that's doing really well? I started that one. I got that one off the ground. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And over the next 28 chapters, that's what we're going to learn. That's what the church is all about, my friends. Listen. I believe that Jesus Christ is honored when He can look at His church and say, do you see that? I built that. I believe that Jesus Christ is honored when He can say, you see how they have been saved by their faith in my death and resurrection? Do you see how they have been saved from an eternity in hell? Do you see how they are growing and becoming mature in their faith by not only hearing the Word of God preached to them week in and week out, but by doing the things that they have heard? Do you see how committed they are to my Father? Do you see how committed they are to me 
and to one another? Do you see how they have grown exponentially by reaching into all of the world and sharing the good news about my plan of salvation? Do you see that? I started that. Aren't they doing a great job finishing it? Aren't they bringing glory and honor to the Father by following through with the plan that I started and completed at the cross? Friends, it is important for us to remember that this same Jesus who bought and paid for your salvation, this same Jesus who began to do and who began to teach, this same Jesus who gave us the keys and the path forward before He was taken up into heaven, this same Jesus is coming back. He's coming back the same way that we saw Him go. And friends, I want you to know that I believe that we as a church need to be busy turning His plan into fruit. We can do that. We can finish the work that He gave us. We can finish the work that He gave us to finish. He's pulled together everything that we need. He's given us the right message. He's given us the Holy Spirit to empower that message and to bring conviction to the hearts of those who hear it. And He's given us the promise of His return to give us proper motivation and incentive to get going and to get to work. We can finish the work that Jesus Christ gave us to do. This world is filled with distractions, and I think now more than ever, there are a lot of things that try to turn our attention from the work that God has given us to complete. And I believe this is the time for us to refocus on continuing the work that Jesus began. That's what I believe. And as we go through the book of Acts for these coming months, that's going to be my prayer for Root River Church, that we complete the work that He gave us to do that we'll be busy completing that work and that we may be immensely fruitful for His kingdom. Isn't that your prayer as well? Father, I thank You so much for the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ alone. And I thank You, God, that in Your kindness and in Your mercy, You extended forgiveness to a sinner like me. And Lord, for all of my mistakes and for all of the things I get wrong, The power of your Holy Spirit still brings conviction to the hearts of unbelievers as we share the the gospel message of Jesus Christ with them. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make us a powerful powerful church, allow us to have a powerful impact on the community around us. I pray, God, that you would empower us to share the great news that there is life to be found in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, through your Holy Spirit that you would strengthen us and that we'd be encouraged by the promise of your soon return. I pray, Lord, that while we continue to look for you, that we don't just stand with our eyes staring into heaven, but we put our hands to the plow and we do the work that you've designed for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.